You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. So just look at the sloth, AG. You know, there's six species, and, and they're broken out into two categories. There's the two-toed sloths and the three-toed sloths. What can they teach us? It's, it's just like, so it's unique. Like an ecosystem. Uh, I mean, they have their own ecosystem, each one of them individually. So Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Hey, this is Chris. Hey, just a quick update. Uh, Angie and I are doing great. Uh, It's just uh, every August, uh, it seems like Angie and I kind of slow down a little bit, catch our breath with the podcast. And usually it coincides with Angie traveling up to Michigan, which she's just getting back uh, with her family. And I've been traveling quite a bit too. So we're releasing the episode finally on sloth that uh, we did l- last year for our Patreon only subscribers. Uh, you know, th- shout out to all of you that are supporting us. Thank you so much. It's really helping us. You know, as we try to to pinch and, and save money, we're going to try to redo the website and really start pushing out this information because after, gosh, we're closing in on th- two years, three years, we have generated you know, I don't know, hundreds of hours of content. And we want to just push that out there. It's free education on conservation and, and on all these species. So that is that is helping out so much, so much. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. So we're going to release the sloth episode right now. And then we'll be back soon with with new episodes. We've got some interviews lined up and some exciting things coming. I think in year three is really where we're going to really start booming. I mean, we've had Phenomenal growth this year. Thank you, you know, to our listeners around the world during the COVID pandemic. It, it seems like we just have, have seen incredible growth, which is good because people are are learning about these conservation issues. But as we come together as a world after this pandemic, you know, focusing on things that affect all of us, I think, you know, hopefully one of the good things that come out of it is, you know, we realize we are one world and animals are suffering, the environment is degrading quickly, and we need to come together as a species. You know, it's not as separate countries, but as one species, Homo sapien, as humans, to fight these changes that we're seeing and reverse them 
and preserve our environment. So, so thank you to our listeners. You know, we hope you really enjoyed this one. This one's really special, actually. Sloth was an amazing episode that Angie and I had a, had a really great time recording. So, hope you enjoy it and look for our, our new animals coming up. We've got a slate of exciting species to come. So, take care. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And Angie, we're talking sloths today. I know. It is going to be a super fun podcast. They, yeah, oh, they're so, they're, it's just one of those mammals I think people forget about a lot. And then you go to a zoo and you're like, oh yeah, sloths. Oh my God, sloths are so cool. They're just so unique. Right, exactly. They they do sometimes, I think, obviously get a little bit of the the back burner for some of the, maybe the more faster or larger animals. But yes, if you've been blessed enough to be up close and personal, uh, or just taking the time to watch some sloth videos, there's uh, some great shots out there by BBC and of course, National Geographic, then you get it. And to Mm -hmm. be completely honest, until I started researching this week, I had forgotten how cool they were too. And then I learned a ton of facts that oh, I had yeah. that I didn't know. So I it was for me, it was like deep dive sloth week. In fact, a lot of the incredible information that I learned about them this past week, I actually just shared with my, one of the classes I'm teaching instead of teaching them evolution. I, I use the sloth because <laughs> they have some really yeah. amazing evolutionary feats, if you will, or you'll just find out some really fun things about their evolution today. But yeah, I just literally talked about the sloths for half the class because then I just skipped the material and I, <laughs> I'm sure we'll make it up at some point in time, but I couldn't control myself because I had to spread the sloth love. And so hopefully after this pod, our listeners will be as psyched about sloths as I became this past week. And- oh, are you kidding me? Me too. Throw me on that bus because I, it was the stuff I learned. I was like, are you kidding me? I, know. I never knew this. I had no I idea. I never knew this. And I... I didn't get to work with sloths, uh, but some of my good friends did, a uh, dear zookeeper friend of mine, Amy. I remember going over to the small mammal building and getting to feed some sloths behind scenes. And so just to make the class laugh, I showed them today what it was like. I, I was the sloth feeding myself a grape because you could, <laughs> that's what we would feed them yeah. for like behind the scenes yeah. tours. And it really... The students thought I was making fun of myself or making fun of them, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was really, it's like slow motion. You hold the grape up to them. Just imagine slowing the bite down about 30 times. And it's slow mm-hmm. motion because most animals, when you feed them, the thrill is gone so quick because they just snatch it up, right? I mean, I've mm-hmm, fed giraffes mm-hmm. before and rhinos and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, but it's pretty, it's over pretty quickly because they just grab it and and go. Right. But this was like, it was like frozen in time, the memory of just how slowly they just open up their mouths. They're very gentle, very kind, mm-hmm. very respectable, great table manners, also hanging upside down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just slow motion eating whole grapes. And it, it was an, a magical experience. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, but I didn't know Never. a lot about their physiology. I knew that they were cool. I knew right. they hung on trees, things like this, but I, so it's been a fun week, and hopefully our listeners at the end of this will become sloth experts as well. I know. I just, it was like six weeks ago at the LA Zoo, and our friend Madison and Mike took us behind the scenes, and we got up close and personal to a sloth. And he was just hanging out upside down, which you're going to find out why they like to live upside down today. 
But it just, it was a magical moment. I got some pictures. I, I think I posted one on Instagram. I'm going to post more, obviously, as we promote this episode. But, you know, I had to go back and rewatch Planet Earth 2 today just to see it, it's the very first episode. They opened up with the Pygmy Three Toad Sloth, who we're going to talk about today and, and really kind of talk about their critically endangered status. But it's the scene where it gets down and swims over to, he thinks it's a female. Climbs up the tree, and yeah, there's a female there, but she has a baby. It was the wrong one. And Chris, it's you're gonna find out why that was such a crazy journey for him. Well, it was, but it it's so funny you mentioned that because so talking about sloths and then me sharing with them, oh, and they swim. They don't walk very well. It's in fact them walking is not very pretty. It's a crawling if motion at mm-hmm. best. It's it's just not great. But then I mentioned that they are great swimmers, and one of the students was like, "Let's see a video." And so, of course, because of technology, we can do that. And so I pulled up that mm-hmm. same clip and they yeah. were just mesmerized. They're like, we can't believe sloth swim. And it, and I know. And obviously he was such a, a great swimmer. Uh, so it's just so, yeah. It, but that video footage is stunning. Stunning. Oh, they're, they're amazing. And then, uh, you know, for anybody that's seen Zootopia, one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a, in a movie, cartoon movie, was the DMV being run by a bunch of sloths. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. And they I were forgot. just so slow. And then he was so slow telling the joke. And they're like, the DMV, because that's how we all feel about the DMV here in the United States, the Department of Motor Vehicles. When you go get your driver's license, it's 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 a bear here in the States. But anyways, it's just, they're, they're so endearing. And you're going to learn where they're from. But Central and South America and Again, just want to highlight that the Amazon is still burning as we record this. Looked up today and an update that the update was at least in September, a lot of the fires died out, but it's still burning. I right. mean, it's still burning. Mm-hmm. And this is the sloth is the slowest moving mammal on earth. And it's incredible. So imagine, yeah. Yeah. That if those fires, like, you know, a lot of sloths lost their lives in it, it just breaks your heart because they're just such an amazing species. Now, this is for our Patreon-only subscribers, so we just want to thank you so much for supporting us in conservation. You you definitely are contributing to conservation. We keep sending checks out each month to an organization that, that you choose, so thank you for that. You're giving back to us, and we're giving back, so we're all making a difference. You're really helping us grow. And just for you, I just kind of wanted to give you an update on the podcast on where we are, because Angie and I are getting ready to enter our third year. And we're on the map, Angie. I mean, we are on the map. Our podcast is on the map. We're on the front of iTunes Science. I know. So you go exciting. down there. Who knew? There we are. It's crazy. I know. I know. I know. So, you know, just looking at statistics, out of there's 700,000 podcasts circulating on the planet right now. 700,000. And there's more and more animal themed, conservation themed. And, and I could argue with anybody that, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, we're probably one of the top animal related podcasts and that's because of our listeners, you know, our listeners help put us there. You know, if, if you look at that, our ranking, we, we are in the top 1000. Sometimes I think we spiked as high as 50 in the all science podcast once. So if you look at that statistics, we're in the 0.002% of all podcasts in listenership. So thank you to you and your support. It just means the world to us. 
we're dedicated to this. We are going to keep working hard. We believe in this mission. You know, we, we believe in the message and what we're doing. So thank you for helping us get there. And we're going to keep growing. You know, we're just going to keep growing. Yes. And our moms will keep uh, listening and helping us grow too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, At least we're out of our mom's basement now. Barely. <laughs> you know, we started. Barely. But yes. Uh, yes. Barely. So, so just looking at the sloth, AG, you know, there, there's six species and, and they're broken out into two categories. There's the two-toed sloths and the three-toed sloths. And I know you sent me some information, so we're going to get into why there are here in a minute, why there's two separate families. And then, of course, we talked about the pygmy three-toed sloth that is critically endangered. So that's the one we, we're kind of going to focus a little bit on today. But we're going to cover generally sloths because they're all generally similar, yeah, which is crazy between the generally, generally behavior, physical Lots, features. Yeah, well, 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 how about this? Similar. We'll let the listeners be uh, the judge of yeah. how how similar they are. The judge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it is sloth week. Don't we're covering we're covering sloths in general because they're definitely all in need of us knowing more about them and sharing more about them uh, because their habitat is so precious and we need to keep them around for a long, long time. As you'll learn, they've been here for a while and they've been doing yeah. their unique, uniquely odd uh, behaviors and physiologies right. for millions of years. So, well, I think. The, the point I was trying to make with that is, I mean, they're generally similar in that they're not evolutionarily similar. Ah, like they, there it is. Yes, that I can see. Yeah, they're not the evolutionarily get, similar, that, but yes, no, they do. No, mm-hmm. they're totally separate, which we're going to get to. But here you have an animal that behaves similarly, mm-hmm. looks moves very similarly, <laughs> moves very slow, lives in trees. Spoiler alert, they move yeah. really slow. Yeah, so it's it's crazy. Like this information that you learn on these animals is just amazing. It's amazing. So I, you know, I can't wait till we get more into the the weeds of this. Now, just to talk about what sloths look like, it, it's a fun animal to try to describe. <laughs> but you know, if we just look at the pygmy three-toed sloth, right? Mm-hmm. So let me just give you some physical size. Okay, so the pygmy is is smaller than. All the other species, all of the five, but not by much. Their body length is about 21 inches or 53 centimeters. Uh, the largest claws on any sloth is four inches long, so a bit smaller in the pygmy. Um, they weigh about eight pounds or three and a half kilograms. Mm-hmm. Now, the two-toed are larger. They can be up to 33 inches long and weigh up to 20 pounds or eight kilograms. So... They say pygmy, and it's not looking at a tamarind versus a gorilla. Right. It's, you know, it, it, it's a it's not a huge difference. It's not a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But still. Definitely. Now, color patterns, yeah. Yeah, so color patterns, I mean, you're looking at what, this wiry hair is kind of how I described it. Tan, light brown, dark brown in some species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned their fur. And it is, it's like long and almost wiry-like, very thick. Uh, dense fur, for especially for living in a jungle, you would maybe think that it's hot and they shouldn't have as much as they do. And of course, it's going to vary from species to species. But what I really fell back in love with was their face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, yeah, they have this this short head, if you will. We'll talk a little bit more about their vertebra and things like that. Mm-hmm. But 
their face is flat-ish, if you will, and they have a stub mm-hmm. nose. Somebody even described it as like a pug nose. That's maybe a little bit too dramatic. But yeah, just these rudimentary small ears, really large eyes, the cutest button stub nose. I think I already mentioned that, but I have to yeah. mention it again because it's yeah, super yeah. darling. Yep. And then their, yep, yep. their facial coloration patterns are going to, once again, vary slightly depending on the species as far as having some black highlights or white in their face or even down their back. Um, certain species have some a uh, little bit of more darkish black colors and white color patterns. So, yeah, you have, well, obviously check out our show notes or just Google mm. some images and you can kind of see the differences between each species. But they're strikingly, as Chris mentioned, pretty similar. Right. And I, so watching, and I'm going to give a, a spoiler alert to, you know, a little bit here in a second. We're going to talk about this, but they have algae grown in their hair and that's, that's natural yes. for them. And it gives them like a green highlight. Sure. I never paid attention. I never paid attention, but he watched this Planet Earth Earth 2 episode and you mm-hmm. see it. I was like, "Oh my goodness, there's the algae oh, yeah. right there." And it ha- it's it's, a, it's critical for them. It's you're going to find out today why they have the algae growing. And I just never noticed it, and I saw it and I was like, "Oh my goodness, it's true. Look, there it is." So, it was it was awesome. And you want to stay tuned too cuz I I'm going to talk a little bit about how how slow sloths are or really how fast they are. They might be faster mm-hmm. than you think. We'll see. You know, we're going to get there. I think it depends on where they're yeah. at. Yeah, that's true. Now, like we opened up, this is Central South America. Their, their ranges, depending on the species, tend to overlap, which again is very interesting because the two-toed and the three-toed are just so dissimilar, evolutionary speaking. Now, the pygmy three-toed sloth, this is the one that's critically endangered. The reason being is it's only found on the isla. Oh, I'm going to butcher this. From Panama. It's an island off Panama. And it's oh, I Isla. Got back. I know you got the Spanish. I'm going to try it. Isla Equidos de Veraguas. Oh, geez. Veraguas? Veraguas? Oh, yeah. You're, you're going to blow me away. Let's see. Isla Escudo Veraguas. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I lose. <laughs> I lose. Well, um, I, uh, it's, I, I'm not going to win any awards. Uh, we, uh, my, Anna always teases me that my Spanish accents has a lot to be desired. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's, uh, you hey, I try. I that's the story yeah. of my life. I might not be great at everything, but I definitely try. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, I, uh, my Spanish, even after taking high school Spanish, I, uh, terrible. So, but looking at where they range, I mean, when you're looking at South America, it's, you know, South Brazil upwards, you know, into Colombia and then into Central America up into Mexico. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all six species are kind of located in there in, in that part of the world. Now, this is where it gets just mind blowing. And I was looking up and I, was thinking, okay, the ecological importance of sloths. And I, I was expecting to see, oh, seed dispersal, things that we've been talking about routinely. But then I came across this article that sloths have their very own ecosystem on their body. And I was like, what mm-hmm. is this? And it was crazy. That's why the deep Not dives only- happened this past week, Chris. It was, I, know. I, I <laughs> never had thought about it from that perspective as well. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was very eye-opening. So yes, keep going, keep going. I'm on the edge of my seat. No, I, 
No, it was just, okay, so looking at this, these these scientific articles talking about this ecosystem. So they have living in their fur, and the one critical one they talk about a lot is these moths, and I'll get to there in a second, but sometimes beetles, cockroaches, this fungus, and algae in their fur. And they're endemic only to the sloth, means they find these these species on the sloth and nowhere else. Mind so blown. It is, Mind blown right there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It has its own little ecosystem. And I also talked to my class today about the co-evolution mm-hmm. that's probably happened amongst this plant species, this invertebrate, these invertebrate species, and mm-hmm. then the mammal host. Right. So this one article that really, it was about, I think, 2014 when it came out, and these scientists we're looking at, okay, one of the questions is sloths, and this is a little bit of a insight into when we get to the nutrition, but they come down out of the canopy. So these are boreal animals. They live in the canopy of the trees in these forests. They come down once a week to poop, which is a whole discussion we're going to get to. I love talking about poop. very let's, obscure behavior. Let's go right now. What are we waiting for? <laughs> I figured for? you would. Yeah, so, but it was the behavior of it. Like, why do they leave these trees, the safety of the tree, to go to the ground? Right, and because poop? let's talk really quick about a few things they do while mm-hmm. they're hanging mm-hmm. in the trees. Mm-hmm. Well, everything: sleeping, giving birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, breeding, as far as researchers know. So, yeah, what's so special about leaving the tree to poop? And once again, to when they're on the ground, they are extremely vulnerable mm-hmm. to predators mm-hmm. because they, like I said, they can't move barely. It's it's not pretty. We watched the video, a video of them moving on the ground, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very hard for them. They have really long arms, and it just they kind of just pull themselves along with their arms. They don't have an upright gait or just anything, and so it's such a vulnerable place to be. Yeah, why? why why would they do that? I don't well, know. Well, later I'm going to address the, the main theory. But this theory is these moths that live in the fur, when the sloth goes down to poop, the female moths will actually fly down, lay their eggs in the poop, and then hop back on the sloth. Then when the sloth goes back in the trees, eventually these eggs will hatch. The moths will go, and once they and the grubs or whatever, then they become moths, and they will go find their own sloth to sleep in or, or live in. Oh, they go find their like little sloth townhome yeah, yeah. or studio yes. apartment of their own. Basically, I mean, yeah, it's like nice. because the you know the the fungus and algae that the, that grows in the sloth's fur that's nutrients for these bugs, and so there's this mutualism going on that they found. The more moths they have, the more algae there ha- there there's on the sloth. They think that the algae is actually used as a snack. The sloth will snack on it and eat some of the algae, so it provides some nutrients for oh. it. Well, I read too that the algae acts as a great camouflage yes. among the trees. That too, that too, absolutely. Because they can get they, especially smaller ones, they can get picked off by hawks, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even large tree snakes, uh, and so. Okay, but they munch on it too. Yeah, yeah, they they That's found awesome. some of it in their stomachs and stuff. So, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So <laughs> we all we all know when I drop <laughs> when I drop crumbs on my like popcorn, especially yeah. like on my shirt, 
you know, in 15 minutes later, I'm like, oh, heck yeah. <laughs> My snack. lucky day. <laughs> you and all the moths that live on you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> a little buffet. It's there. not that bad yet, but some yeah. days after taking care of the kids oh, and, my, and myself barely, it, it's, I'm going to start growing moths. It's only oh, I bet. Time. I bet. Mm-hmm. Oh, two little mm-hmm. boys, they keep you busy. So that was just, that was mind blowing that they have their own little ecosystem on their bodies and that it's very unique ecosystem. But why can't they just poop in the tree and the poop falls to the ground and then the moths, oh, the moths right. like really never leave them or? Yeah, that, I think that's part of this theory. Now, okay. do you want the spoiler alert? I can give it to you now. Yes. Just- it's kind of one of those, <laughs> it's one of those nights. I've got my coffee. I'm amped up. Okay. okay. Let's do, let's do this thing. Okay. So the prevailing theory is, and, and that's what people are, are doing that now. Okay. So what we do know, let's talk about poop real quick. They. Yay. They have to poop once a week and Let's they go down. Let's talk about the- poop, Chris. Let's talk about <laughs> Why care? Why care about sloths because of their poop? So their poop, though, is like it builds up. It's about a third of their body weight by the time they go down the tree, which is crazy. Well, I mean, if you're only pooping once a week in... Yeah. Even if you have a super oh, slow metabolism, let's, that's, yeah. not, that's, where yeah. not, that's not where I want to be. So, you know, okay, so you think about this. You're a sloth. You're building up feces. Why don't you just poop from the trees, right? It would be easier, less stressful. You're carrying around extra weight, which means you're going to find out about their metabolism. They, they, they're like pandas. They're, they're very tired all the time. They don't have a ton of energy. So it takes a lot of energy to climb down to poop, right? And it takes a lot of energy to climb back up. So the moth theory, not everybody's convinced. The prevailing theory is... What they think it is because it's usually used for pheromones and communication. So it's more of a behavior to say, here, here I am. Because they poop in the same spot, too. They go back to usually the same spot, like a latrine. And don't they, don't they bury it or Little, no? I, th- I think they leave it out. I don't. I didn't see where they bury it. Oh, they leave it out. Yeah, but it's like a latrine, right? They go and they poop in the same spot. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But it's like a marker, like, hey, I'm here. And then they climb back up. And then so other sloths can smell that and know, okay, especially a female in estrus, if she's, you know. Sure. Yeah. So they know. Well, because that makes sense. Yeah. How would you, if you're in the tree and all of your, you know, feces, and if they're dropping and going away all yeah. the time, how would they know how to find you or if you're ready to be found or things like that? Okay. No, I, I can right. definitely get behind that. And, and they're talking about the moths. I mean, this is the moth theory. I think a pro for the moth theory is if they are pooping from high up in the trees, it would break apart, you know, hit limbs, things like that, where right. the moths would have a hard time finding it. Whereas these ones that develop these behaviors over, you know, thousands or millions of years, that they they benefited more with this mutualistic behavior. So to be honest with you, it's still a huge debate. I mean, they still don't know. It's been something that's baffled the scientists for, for years and years. Is this a slow-moving debate or pretty quick? <laughs> yes. Sorry, too many slow. Slu- uh, very many slow. Jokes. Very slow. Uh, oh, it's, it's great. It's great. So that's that's the fascinating why oh, care yeah. about well, them, and, and I it's, think. You know, that's, sure. I mean, it's, it's just, just so like, unique. An ecosystem. Uh, I mean, they have their own ecosystem, each one of them individually. So you get rid of sloths. You're definitely getting rid of the algae and these moths and a whole host of other things, let alone, like you said, the seed dispersing and just other normal kind of ecological niches that herbivores do that Mm -hmm. we've talked about in the past. So, yeah, no, I think uh, it's 
So, so cool. And, and, and truth be told, there's probably a lot going on because there's mm-hmm. so many insects that can be found uh, within their little algae house that there's still probably a lot that we don't know about the different right. uh, uh, symbiosis or mutualistic uh, mm-hmm. patterns that have evolved through over, over a long, long time. Right, right. I mean, it's it's fascinating, fascinating. That we got more stuff to come because these things are just wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the different species. Yeah. Okay. Good. That was my next slide. So today, what you have, it's going to be so funny because this these are the black sheep of sloth history. They, oh, it's it's just so fascinating. So today, the sloths that we have today are broken up into two families. Mm-hmm. Very easy to say this one. Brady Potidae yep. is the three-toed sloth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Megalonychidae. Mm-hmm. Mega, the second one wasn't as easier. Megaloconidae is the two-toed. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the species, you have the pygmy three-toed sloth, which I'll just give their scientific name and I won't on the others, but Bradipus pygmaeus mm-hmm. is their scientific name. Okay. So three-toed. Then you have the main sloth, the pale-throated sloth, and the brown-throated sloth. So these are all the three-toed. Then you have the two two-toed sloth species, Linnaeus's two-toed sloth, and then Hoffman's two-toed sloth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are the six species. Now, sloth evolution again is just wow. It evolved these these animals evolved about sixty million years ago in South America. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they are part of the Xenartha superorder, which also includes. Didn't know this. Anteaters and armadillos. Correct. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> sloths are related to anteaters and armadillos. You have this arboreal species living up in the trees. Mm-hmm. That eats like leaves it's and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an anteater. I mean, like we did an anteater, you know, I don't know, 40 pods ago. Mm-hmm. So, but you look at their physiology, you look at the claws. Correct, yep. Okay, you have these huge claws that anteaters use. We know this after covering them to tear open termite and ant mounds mm-hmm. to get food. Well, the sloths evolved to use these claws not to tear up ant mounds or termite mounds, but to climb trees and to hang upside down. Like you think about it, you're like, holy smokes. That is insane. That is fascinating. Yes. Fascinating evolutionary history. Yes, but it gets even crazier. And that's no, oh, it does. And that's what it I had does. my my there. class on the edge of their yeah. seats. They were like, yeah. "What?" I mean, maybe it wasn't. They yeah. weren't as like fascinated as I was, but they seemed like an audience. It was oh. really they were really into it. We watched a couple videos, and yeah, I mean, it 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 was it was something. It's something. It doesn't it, make any it, sense. It gets crazier. Mm-hmm. It gets crazier. Okay, so sloths first emerged fifty million years ago. Okay, 50, 60 million years ago from South America. Then they went into North America. Now, the environmental conditions during this time, millions and millions of years ago, were this is where you get megafauna, right? Big, massive growth. Remember, we've talked sloth about bear. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sloth bear. What about the, the giant rodent, right? That was the size of a bull? Yeah, well, sloth <laughs> bear that? is, a, I mean, a sloth. Whatever it's called, I forget what it's called, but it is, it's pretty. Yeah, it's coming. The giant sloth. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Okay, it's coming. 
But this is when animals just got huge. There's abundant food, warmer, like they were just animals were, were doing really well. Then 90% of all sloth species went extinct about 10,000 years ago. 90%. So all these ground sloths were, went extinct. Now they think the two prevailing theories are it was the end of the ice age. So you had a massive change in environmental conditions. And then who came marching over the land bridge and established themselves? And that was humans, mm -hmm. homo sapiens. So those two forces wiped out, you know, mammoths and saber-toothed cats. And a lot of species went extinct around that time. It wasn't a mass extinction like we're seeing today, but it was still an extinction event where we lost a lot of biodiversity. Uh, woolly, woolly rhino. Mm -hmm. There's one that went extinct around that time. So, the like I said, these sloth today are the black sheep. They they shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. They're the only remaining remnants of this tree, this family tree of sloths. Mm -hmm. Most of them, the old sloths were ground dwellers. They were huge, and they think the only reason these sloths survived is because they lived in trees, and so they escaped. Right, but. The even crazier part that, okay, yes, they survived. So that's like the second yeah. phase of the yeah. amazingly true crazy, awesome go back. evolutionary yeah. Yeah. story. The third <laughs> yes. part yeah. is not only did they survive two-toed and three-toed, uh, but they are not even related to each other no. at all. No. So two no. separate far away from each other offshoots, on yeah. the phylogenetic tree offshoots mm -hmm. experience what was called convergent evolution of picking up same physiological traits due to the environmental mm -hmm. constraints mm -hmm. in the ecosystem at the time for when they were evolving it must have just been better to be up in the trees eating leaves to create a new a new niche or to avoid other predators whatever it is and so they did it separately, nowhere near each other, or near each other, perhaps on uh, you know, in 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 the continent of South and Central America. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I understand it is, they are like so unrelated. It's not like mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. how I'm relate, how we're related to Homo erectus, erectus. yeah, or no. a chimpanzee, or mm -hmm. a uh, a bonobo. It's nope. like us related, or us being us related to uh, tamarind or something. Yeah, yeah. Like it, really, really far away from each other, and that's why researchers have determined. It ha and there's some physiological traits we'll talk about that make them definitely different. And uh, but what? Like I just, I just assumed because you know, uh, which you should never do, know, but that they were like just subspecies of each other or species but one and needed two you know two toes and the other one needed three toes and and we'll get into that a little bit more as well why they're named what they're named but no this evolution stuff is nuts they're it's, so un they're so far away from each other like two totally is. different lines it is it's okay so, so give as it to me. We're, I can't as even. we're speaking. I got okay, I got to I got to take a break here. <laughs> okay. As we're speaking, the family tree is being rewritten. And one of the things I know you wanted to dabble in and we won't bore our listeners with, but is proteomics. 
Okay. I love proteomics. Yes, they're using now it's advanced technique looking at amino acids and and they've they've gotten samples from hundreds of thousands of years ago from some of these fossils they find of these sloths. So what they believe is millions of years ago, like tens of millions of years ago is when a common ancestor split. And then you had these, you had small cat-like sloths, and then you had this huge giant sloth we're going to talk about here in a minute. But they think the ground giant sloths were the three-toed evolved, and then the smaller ground sloth is where the two-toed evolved. So think about the movie Ice Age, you know, the kid movie. And oh, what's yeah, that, love it. What's that character, the, the real dorky one? The, he's the sloth, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that ground sloth is what they think that the two-toed evolved from. And their last common ancestor, or the ancestor to them, died out about 20 million years ago. So they've been around a long, a long, long time. time. And they diverged tens of millions of years ago, not 100,000 years ago or recently in geological time. It was a long, long time. So here you have these, these animals living near each other, mm-hmm. but two completely different families diverged a long time ago. They can't interbreed or any of that stuff. And it's just nuts. These animals are nuts. This is, I think this, of all the species we covered, this is the one, this is one of the ones that surprised me the most. I mean, I know. I mean, just uh, for anybody who follows us regularly, uh, knows that, you know, when evolution comes along, I kind of sit back and drink my coffee and let Chris do work his magic because he's so good at it and so passionate about it. And I love to learn. And sometimes I just don't have time for the deep evolution dives. But clearly, I couldn't control myself this week because it was just so shocking and amazing. And then, of course, why care about them? We talked a lot about their ecological role. But this is just it's just so incredible. And, and of course me, you know, teaching ecology and behavior and things like that, it, it just really is an amazing example of this convergent evolution mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and why species evolve the way they do, um, d- depending on their environment and what works and what doesn't work. And it's working for the sloth and it's been working for a long time. It does. It's amazing. And it's so it's amazing. Like, who are we to take away their trees, man? They need I know. Their trees. I know. We need to fight for We sloths. need trees. I mean, just, Humans, we like need more trees, obviously. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. Uh, there has, uh, okay. So then we got to, which I know you know about because at the Florida Museum there on campus, we have a, have a skeleton there of, of the giant ground sloth. Yeah, I'll now, have to go. I'll have to go with the boys and take a selfie and we can, we can put on Instagram yeah. or something. Oh, please, to- please. So estimate, okay, the the largest sloth, now that one in there, that's close. I'd have to go back and look at it. How tall do you think they got? The giant ground sloth, the, the biggest well, I one. I think uh, like 10 feet maybe? Yeah, that's what you think the one there. The, right. The big one, okay, this is Megatherium americanum, mm-hmm. 20 feet tall. Holy shnikes. Yeah, that's Two not the one they stories. have. Two stories. They don't have no, that at the museum. No, no, <laughs> They'd no, have to no, build no. a bigger museum. Oh my god. Well, goodness. that's the one that's the one from North America that was smaller. Yeah. And weighed this one weighed four tons. And the one that you're thinking of, the the, the ground sloth that lived in North America was only about three tons. So okay. this one died out about ten thousand years ago. Okay. 
So not only do you have the huge rodent that we talked about in, oh, what podcast was that? We just talked about it. It, it was a few podcasts ago and I blew you away. It was the size of a bull. I forgot which one it was in South America. It was, what, did yeah. we, what rodent did we just cover? Oh, squirrels. We were covering squirrels. Right. Right. Good memory. Yeah. Okay. So you had so many huge things in South America. Oh my goodness. Uh, let's see what those, those humans, when they first arrived there, thought like, oh my God. Oh, uh, anyways. So yeah, it, it, crazy history. And here today you have these six species uh, hanging on, hanging on. Now here's some fun stuff. Sloths live 25, 30 years in the wild. Uh, the oldest sloth ever measured under human care lived to be 43. Okay. Which is pretty good. Pretty good life, you know. Now, you did mention to special physiology that they have this extra vertebrate in their neck. Yeah, Chris. And once I really wrap my brain around this whole evolution thing and how, and how different two-toed and three-toed sloths are on the evolutionary tree, I wanted to know more like, well, what else? And they do look pretty similar as we talked about earlier in the pod, but a really key difference, which sets them uniquely apart from mammals in general, is the number of vertebra in their necks. Uh, More Mm -hmm. specifically, the cervical vertebras, those are the ones that are just from the back of your skull down, right? It goes cervical vertebra, thoracic vertebra, lumbar, sacrum, coccyx, blah, 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 blah. And so it's crazy. The two-toed sloth have six sometimes seven vertebra. In us humans, mm-hmm. we have seven. Most mammals have seven. Even giraffes have seven. You should fact check me on that, maybe with Google. I believe even giraffes have seven yeah. cervical vertebra. They're just really big and long, right? That's why they big, get their length huge. or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having six is really bizarre for the two-toed sloth. But then the three-toed sloth have nine. So have yeah. two more. <laughs> It's, yes. It doesn't even make any sense. And it is really rare. I was reading that really most mammals, like I said, have seven. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but the uh, interestingly enough, manatees only have six too. So manatees are a little wonky. But yeah, there's other differences too as far as the number of ribs they have, their tails, and then the lengths of their limbs. And probably something Chris and I maybe didn't talk about enough in the earlier in the podcast was how long their arms are. Uh, compared to their legs, obviously for hanging and climbing. But yeah, they almost have a gibbon feel to them with that length, that Mm -hmm. extended extended arm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just nuts. Uh, Two-toed sloths have 46 ribs, but three-toed sloths have only 28. What? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What? Huh? Who who knew? Right? Who knew? I know. And then uh, three-toed sloths have a small tail, while two-toed sloths do not. And two-toed sloths have arms. Once again, they're about the size of their legs. Where the three-toed sloths, I should say, are the that those are the ones that have the more exaggerated or longer mm-hmm. arms. So, mm-hmm. but you know, a difference in your bones, your bone count, and your bone structure, and I mean that that's when that's when you know you you can't interbreed, right? You're not. No. Yeah. You are yeah. Far, yeah. far, far from one another. So cool. Right, right. And it helps. Yeah. And it helps them. I mean, the, one of the things that helps them is rotate their head 
And, you know, what, 270 degrees? I, saw, I read somewhere else 360. I didn't, almost 360. I didn't quite believe that one. But, you know, the uh, a more reputable source had them at 270 degrees. Mm-hmm. So they can, you know, see a, a lot around them. They're able to telescope that head around. So form to function, you know, something you always like to talk about. Now, body temperature, I thought was quite interesting. It makes a little bit sense because they do have such a slow metabolism, but it's almost like they're cold blooded. I mean, it ranges anywhere from 74 to 92 degrees Fahrenheit yeah, or 24 to 33 degrees Celsius. So they have a really low body temperature. Yeah. That's like toper time, like, you know, time for going into kind of like a mild hibernation or something. Hibernation. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why again they they just move so slow. When we get to nutrition, it will make sense in a second. Now, Angie did say earlier they're incredible swimmers, so they can move about three times as fast in the water than on land. Okay. On land, mm-hmm. like Angie said, it's not pretty. This is how fast they are. Like for how yeah. adorable they are, it's 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 not cute when they're wet. Angie. They move on average one foot per minute or 30 centimeters. Right. <laughs> one foot it's, per minute. They can't they move. They can't. It's I mean, they're like, really they're really struggling. It's like you feel, you know, like if you ever have seen a person struggling or an animal struggling, yeah. like especially yeah. with animals, my heart just goes out. Like, yeah, it's like you just, mm, it's like, hurry up, get go poop and yeah. get back in that tree, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. They can move much faster than the trees, but. When they move in the trees, again, they average about 125 feet per day or 38 meters. That's about all they go. They don't range very far. They don't move very fast. So answering that question from the beginning, they're not that fast. They're really not. They uh, they just, they're slow moving. And it's just, you know, again, form to function and, and how they eat. Now, what I did find interesting too is this starts making more sense. Why do sloths hang upside down? You know, many of these arboreal species. Right, that's a weird way to go, right? I mean. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we see a lot of primates, the squirrels we covered. They run along the tops of branches, swinging around. So why did sloths evolve to, to hang? And really what scientists believe is because, again, if you go back to the panda bear episode, they're eating a pure bamboo diet, a lot of not a lot of, not a lot of nutrients in there. So you don't have a lot of energy to move. So what they think is they evolved to hang because it takes very little, little energy to do that. And as they move, Versus a species like a monkey that's that's in South America running around the treetops. Right, brachiating from branch to branch. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So a monkey or a squirrel is going to have a high caloric diet, you know, fruits and insects and things like that. So they have more energy to bounce around like that, where a sloth doesn't. So they move very slowly. They're hanging upside down really to minimize energy expenditure. So that's kind of why they thought mm-hmm. they do this. And it's their, that's how they've evolved to do that. And both two, two, two-toed and three-toed, similar physiology. Again, totally separate on the evolutionary tree or very, very distant, but have evolved very similarly. Because it works. In the same part right. of the world, right. too. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. So we talk about nutrition. Now, 
Two-toed, a little bit larger range. They have a more varied diet, uh, fruits, leaves, some animal matter, but again, not very high calorie. The three-toed sloths, much more limited range, and they eat only leaves. Okay. Okay. And they actually have the slowest digestion rate of any mammal. So they no don't digest No wonder they only poop very- once a week. I know. And that's why they eat the algae too, because they're hungry and the algae is rich in fatty compounds, gives them some extra energy. So they think that is kind of why they evolved to eat that too. Now, sloths have a multi-chambered stomach like other herbivores. So they have certain symbiotic bacteria that helps break down the plant matter, but they just, they digest it way slower than they eat it. And Angie talked about at the beginning, how slow they eat. So digestion takes a long time long time days it takes days to digest those leaves that they eat Mm -hmm. now we talked about the the pooping behavior so i thought that was kind of fun so leading into normal sloth behavior (laughs) chris that was a great lead into sloth behavior it's uh it is we've covered a lot of it which is pretty much they don't do much, <laughs> or if they do do it, they very it's very slow, and and obviously with purpose. I think that's what I probably have the most respect about them when they when they are going down the tree to defecate. It's with purpose. They they don't they don't have many wasteful steps. Where I myself have a lot of wasteful steps each day. Where I'm like, why did I come into this room? <laughs> what am I doing in here? Uh, that'd be really painful if a sloth does that because they move so slow. But we focused on, of course, how right. slow they are in this podcast. But I think what really uh, blew my mind, and as we talked earlier in the podcast, about what great swimmers they are. In fact, they're such strong swimmers, swimmers they can reach 13.5 meters or 44 feet per minute. I don't. I think I can do that. Yeah, I could. I can. I, I used to swim on the swim team, so I could definitely do that. But they use these long arms mm-hmm. to paddle through mm-hmm. the water, mm-hmm. and they're super graceful in it, as you mentioned in that BBC video. It's just uh, our documentary. It's really quite incredible. And then all of a sudden, all their awkwardness that is shown when they are on the ground just is completely removed. So. So it's just really quite remarkable, I think, uh, that in a, in the water element they are uh, pretty pretty agile. And what also we didn't talk about it mm-hmm. in um, evolution, but a little side, like I said, how much I loved evolution. I was going on side sloth evolution tangents, and on one of them I went down right, is right. there was actually a marine sloth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously extinct. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly which time frame it was in. I'm not good like like you are with all that with all the time periods. But yeah, that it would is a primarily swimming sloth. Like I don't know what their diet was, but it had some of these adaptations to be in the water most of the time. And so maybe it's remnants of that. Who knows? But it's just pretty incredible when they get in the water. But for the most part, they do spend all their times in trees and they do sleep a lot, up to 15 hours a day. And they pretty much just wake up to feed. So, and of course, the separate species are going to have variable times on how much they sleep. But just take my word on it. It's more than you and I sleep per night. Right, that's for right, sure. And then some. Right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, and 
Two-toed and three-toed sloths are mostly nocturnal, but they can be active during the day. But in general, Chris, they are motionless about 90% of the time. So there's your behavioral ethogram. That's their their daily activity budget. Right. 90% of the day, it's not either just they're not moving. They're just there. So <laughs> How exciting would that it, be? It, it'd probably like a, it'd, it'd be like a good one for beginner for beginner behavior observations. What's the sloth doing? Nothing. Right, right, right. What's the sloth doing now? Right. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but what would be incredible is when they actually start to do something and you're like collecting the data, you'd be like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. it'd be in like slow motion. So you'd be able to collect all, because a lot of times when animals move fast, I always feel like I'm missing right. some data here and there. But yeah, with these guys, you should be able to catch catch a lot of it. Um, so, but in general, uh, they're relatively solitary animals. However, sometimes groups of females will occupy a similar tree. And the young can sometimes inherit the home range of the parents. Even though they are super cute and charming, and I obviously was thrilled to be able to feed them grapes back in the day, they are pretty gentle, but they have been known to defend themselves with their claws and their teeth if need be. Uh, But they usually don't like to do that. They usually rely on their camouflage and their algae and their camouflage to hopefully hide them and protect them. Mm -hmm. In general, not only do they not move much, but they don't really make a lot of vocalizations. They can let out hisses and low cries. In fact, that BBC, we'll have to put it on our show notes, but the BBC documentary of the pygmy swimming, at the very end of it, he makes a little cry, probably because he was sad. Because it was the wrong girl. The one he wanted to be. <laughs> it was the wrong girlfriend. He had he'd gone all that way uh, and expended all that energy. I know and she had a baby. She was closed for business, yep, right? Yep, yep. But so there's this vocalization, this little cry, and 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 at once I was playing this video in class and. I, I played it over like three or four times and the students were just laughing at me. I'm like, oh, it's so cute because it's just like, Whoa. or I, I, I'm not making a good impression mm-hmm, of it, but mm-hmm. but it was super cute because, yeah, they don't really do a lot. So when they do make a vocalization, it's, it's kind of fun to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but three-toed sloths can emit a long, high-pitched call uh, that will echo through the trees when they, when they, um, need to, and it sounds like an I-E, so, or eyes or something like that, depending on um, how you pronounce it. So they, you know, they, they, they definitely can make noises. It's just not, um, it's, they're not, they're not like the gibbons, right? right the choir. Right, right. Um, Which is amazing. It's still so, amazing. I'm still right, blown away by that one. Right. But I think that's part of their, it's, you know, that's probably part of their behavioral ecology or whatever is just be slow and quiet. You know, mm-hmm. we could all probably, at least us Americans could probably learn a lesson or two from them. Just, just slow down, man. I know. And just <laughs> be a better listener, <laughs> you know, like just, just listen, just listen and be quiet and kind of slow down and grow some algae on your back. <laughs> now we know why it happens because they don't do anything. <laughs> Moss growing yeah, on your head. exactly. Yeah. They don't move, and yeah. and then but the, but you grow that algae, and you have a little snap. There you and go. You eat it, and <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad, it's not a bad life. Uh, so now, and so switching gears and moving on to the reproduction, 
I, of course, was super fascinated. I'm like, I need to know their courtship behaviors because that's just got to be like hilarious. Like, what do they yes, do? Yes. Um, but unfortunately, I was a little shocked, I suppose, that we know a lot of general facts about their reproduction, but not not a ton. Uh, we don't. Uh, there's not too many reports about their courtship behavior or even them breeding. Like it's known that they breed in trees and things like that, that they don't obviously come down to the ground or anything. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't, I, I think we need, we need that grad student researcher to right. go out there mm-hmm. and sit there for 90% of the time watching them do nothing oh. uh, during breeding season to, 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 so we can learn more right, about right, them. Right. And, and I would even do that uh, because they're, they're super cute to even just watch sleep, right? But what we do know is that three-toed sloths exhibit strong polygyny and females are usually somewhat loyal or aren't very promiscuous. Mm-hmm. And so that male and males and three-toed sloths, if he's like the man, he's usually really successful at passing on his genetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can mate with several females and uh, father several offsprings. However, once again, because they are so separate on the evolutionary tree, two-toed sloths have weak polygyny. So the males are pretty much, you know, in love with their female sloth, but the female is like, meh, and they're very promiscuous and will breed <laughs> lots of males. Yeah, of course. Well, good genetic so, diversity. Yeah, yeah. I know. And, and of course, it's fun to joke and make light of it because it's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's funny because they're sloths. Yeah. But, it, but it really goes to show they're compl- in the animal kingdom and breeding behavior, those are two really separate types of, of breeding strategies. Right. Whether right. You're, yeah. you, you know, you, you, you breed with a lot of mm. the other sex or you don't, or, right. you know, and it all goes into how you pass off your genetics. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's even more interesting too, because obviously you and I are repro dorks, but they basically have different birth season or what the one, what one research calls birth pulses Mm -hmm. in that three toed sloths mate during the late summer and early fall and will give birth the next year. And it's like a pretty fixed cycle. But two-toed sloths don't really seem to follow a seasonal pattern Mm -hmm. at all. They just give birth Mm year-round from what Mm -hmm. researchers can tell. So once again, it doesn't seem like a difference unless it's like Chris or I that have studied this in cows versus horses versus pigs versus humans. But it's a big deal whether or not you can breed any time or if you breed seasonally. Mm-hmm. That's they're just two totally different evolutionary strategies, right? Yep, yep. So yeah, it's just it's it's pretty fascinating. But when they do meet and breed, once again, we don't know a lot about their courtship behaviors, but I did spend a little time just in my own head picturing what those would be, because they'd be slow and hilarious, right? Right, right, right. Um but what we do know is that Females will often broadcast that they are receptive by making high-pitched screams. So she'll let them know. So she sends messages. That's good. A girl that knows what she wants. And one of the other interesting things that's been reported is that researchers don't really know why, but females do seem to exhibit really strong mate choice. Okay. And so mate choice is 
in my and for lack of better terms, being picky. And it's good to be picky because you want to, you know, get the male with better genetics or whatever. Uh, and so the females seem to be doing that, but once again, researchers aren't exactly sure why or how this benefits and or hinders uh, their reproductive success. But once again, sloth copulations rarely witnessed. And when a female sloth does get pregnant, uh, her gestation period is about six months and she'll give birth to one offspring. And when the young are born, they're very little, about 10 inches in length. And they cling to their mom's belly, of course, for about five weeks uh, or so until they really can grow some strength and uh, move around. And sloth mothers do a really good job of caring for their offspring, uh, especially up until anywhere from like three to eight months, depending on the species and when the sloth needs to be weaned. But then during weaning, it gets a little bit, uh, let's just say it's not necessarily unconditional love. Uh, the mother sloth will sometimes hiss or swipe. And sloth moms are overall very heavily invested, at least for the first three to eight months, depending on the species, until the baby is weaned. Except there is one little hiccup, which uh, researchers don't really know a lot about, but have, have observed in the wild that if a baby should slip and fall from its mother's belly or when it's clinging onto it, the ma the baby usually will be fine because it maybe lands in some leaves or something, but the mother will rarely go retrieve it. And then on the ground, it's it's depending on the age, of course, of the offspring. It's it, it's going to be pretty tough for it to uh, either get back up or once again, it's pretty vulnerable to predators. And so. They, a lot of times orphan sloths are taken into sanctuaries when they're found and they're rehabilitated and released back in the wild. So bless people who do that. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so it is, it is, you know, kind of a, something that I can't really relate to as far as the sloth bombs know, go, but know, it, it, there's probably some evolutionarily behavioral reasons. I mean, we talked about how it is a, it is a big investment for them to get down the trees and things like that. So Right, right. It is. It is. Um, it's very hard. And honestly, she might not even be able to crawl down and get her baby, like, you know, as far as the up and down part before the predator comes because it's like – So, yeah, I, I thought that was um, somewhat interesting observation. And, of course, uh, you know, hopefully most of those sloth babies – all those sloth babies out there listening, hang on tight. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's a harsh world out there. It's really harsh. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, that rolls into conservation, Angie. We, like we said, we talked with the the pygmy three-toed sloth that is critically endangered. Now, the IUCN has less than five hundred, but obviously their data is a little old. The Edge organization estimates maybe a hundred left, and you saw something even less than that, right? Right. I uh, I think IUCN was uh, 79, but that was back in 2012. Okay. okay. That was in 2012, yeah. so. Yeah, so less than 100 is about what we're at. And this island is just, you know, it's a small habitat. There's logging, trapping of the sloths. So they're in big trouble there. And then the other one was the main sloth that's listed as vulnerable. Now, what's interesting about this one 
is it lives where the golden lion tamarind lives. So on the Atlantic range uh-huh. on Brazil, and we talked about the difficulties that the golden lion tamarinds were having with, you know, living in that part of the world, the deforestation in that part of Brazil. So the main sloth is also feeling that too. So they're listed as vulnerable. And then the others looked at least concern right now. So definitely, you know, two of the six species are in trouble. And then as the Amazon and these other parts of the world, as these other parts of South America, you know, this more deforestation, a sloth loses its home, you know, and it, and it can't just mm-hmm. run away, you know, barely no. can crawl away. I mean, it can barely crawl right. away. So, it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's sad. When you, yeah, when you cut the tree down with the sloth, that sloth toast. It's just, it's just horrible. It's horrible. So with that, you know, you kind of gave me the nod this week on picking an organization, and the one I want to highlight is the Sloth Conservation Foundation. Yeah, and I definitely, I, I was reading about them. Great. Yeah, group. the I the reason I really like this group is it's newer. And a researcher, so this researcher, Rebecca Cliff, Dr. Rebecca Cliff, who researched sloth, started this foundation. So she may be somebody we can try to try to get an interview, reach out yeah, to her and talk about sloths. Be, oh, yeah. That'd be so cool. Right. I'm telling you, I'm a sloth lover. I'm a, I'm on team sloth now. Yeah, they're they're awesome. And so she started this foundation to help them. It's a nonprofit organization working down in South America and Central America to help preserve habitat and learn more about these sloths. So uh, their website is slothconservation.com and you can go on there. They have some wonderful information on that. Talks about what they're doing. You can actually adopt a sloth. So you can go in there and help sponsor a sloth. And Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when you do that, you you know, 100% of the proceeds goes directly to supporting their programs there. And you get a package and you get an adoption certificate, all that fun stuff. And you get to to pick certain sloth. And they're just, oh my goodness, they're just so adorable. They're so adorable. And, you know, they're doing research. They're funding research, doing outreach with education. Just a great organization to check out the Sloth Conservation uh, Foundation. And we'll put the link on the show notes there. Yeah, and so like them on Facebook about too. Them. They've got a nice Facebook page as well. Yeah, yeah. Just amazing, amazing uh, organization out there fighting for sloths. And it was just one person who started it. So, you know, that's that's what it takes. That's what it takes. One person motivation. We're still looking for that person for hippos, right? We still yes. need a hippo organization. Yes. <laughs> Until- I'm trying to convince John. John's like, no, not hippos. <laughs> no way. No ways. Yeah. So, you know, help the Amazon conservation tips, use recycled products because we are using some illegal uh, timber from there. And then also, again, you know, to help the Amazon just pass on that cheeseburger every now and then, less beef overall. I mean, I know in America, we don't get a lot of our beef from South America, but again, we need to drive down global demand for beef. Absolutely. Because that is what mm-hmm. is leading to deforestation down there is is ranching, but bottom line. So, you know, I, I'm making conscious choices to, to eat less uh, beef and red meat. And- I know. John has been doing amazing. We uh, we found this app called Meal Lime here in mm-hmm. the States. I'm, I'm sure it's everywhere. But and you can just say like, okay, I want to eat two meals, three meals, whatever, four meals this week that are vegetarian, or if you have some mm-hmm, other kind mm-hmm. of food preference, like paleo or whatever it is. Yeah. And right. then you scroll through them 
You find what you want, you know, tap on the ones you want that sound delicious. And then it provides the whole grocery shopping list for you. And of course, the recipes and all the nutritional facts. And it's free. And so John's been playing with it because he's such an amazing husband and I've been so busy. And so we've been eating all these awesome new vegetarian dishes that, I mean, I'm not even missing the meat. It's awesome <laughs> i'm coming to, i'm coming back to florida i'm hungry yeah he's <laughs> like time. he's got his like mad cooking skills on it's 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 quite incredible nice. when a lot of it's just like what you can do with basil or beans mm-hmm. or yeah. I mean, there's so much yeah. out there it's fun there's so many good tasting vegetables too and so you mix them in with pasta you know or whatever That's what we have tonight. so mm-hmm. yummy Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to go eat dinner, Angie, but thank you. I know. I know. I'm hungry now. But amazing podcast, amazing animal. I'm going to try to you know chase down Dr. Cliff at some point and see if we can get her on for an interview because that is just amazing that she did that uh, all in her lonesome. Awesome podcast, my friend. And you we're doing this right before you go to Africa. So this will be out while you're in Africa. Have a good trip. And we look forward to hearing back from what you learn. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be checking. Come back from the Rhino Orphanage. I will. I'll send photos and I'll be checking in a lot. So it'll be like everybody's going to Africa, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, Chris. Great pod. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Team Sloth. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. 